Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try to settle that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Were your parents morons too? The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. That really turned out well. I'm really good job. I'm getting ready. I'm ready. You know, I wish I thought of that. I never thought of even one minute. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're doing your dream. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Good morning, all you entrepreneurs and small business people. You are listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. The show has two goals, to share information and resources. I'm an entrepreneur myself. I had a lot of crash and burn (laughs) adventures. I've made a lot of mistakes. And if I can help one of you out there not make some of the mistakes I've made or that I've seen clients and friends make, well, then I've been successful. The second goal is to inspire. I've found being an entrepreneur confusing often lonely. You have no idea if you're on the right track or not or where to turn for good advice. So the show has guests every week who share their stories and advice to help with both of those goals. And this week's guest is Karen Renee. She is the founder and owner of eCourt Reporters. And she joins me this week to share her journey as an entrepreneur. So, Karen, thanks so much for being with me today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. Thank you, Doris, for having me. I'm very pleased to be here today. I am delighted you are here. So, first, just tell my listeners a little bit about you. What's what's your background? What should people know about you and what makes you tick? Well, certainly. So, my name is Karen Renee, and I am CEO of eCourt Reporters, and I am a working court reporter. So, I've been with the court reporting industry since 2004, and that's actually what sparked my need and want to create eCourt Reporters, which I agree with you when you say there's many bumps to go through and creating a new uh, business, and we've certainly been through a few. <laughs> but I, I am a court reporter myself. I'm fascinated by the law, have been since way back when, and uh, I'm excited to get going farther into what we can do for helping law firms locate court reporters, because that is a really difficult and um, it's it's a hard thing in the industry right now. We struggle finding certified court reporters across the United States, but my history is is bringing me here is in the fact that I myself owning a court reporting agency found that very difficult. So we went out, set out to create our own little mission of finding and locating court reporters throughout the United States. A little bit about myself personally, I am a Harley Davidson rider, along with my co-founder of eCourt Reporters is also a Harley Davidson rider. That's how we met. So um, that's a little personal tidbit of information. I saw the picture on your website, and that looked like fun. And I was just thinking of the uh, the great analogies of the Harley, you know, off-roading maybe a little bit with the Harley hitting the bumps, and then <laughs> the straight areas where you can just really, you know, rev the engine up and just fly. It's a little bit like running a startup business. Uh, where you, you know, It's interesting you say that because... 
Judy and I, my co-founder and I actually met, that was how we met as friends originally was through the love of, of riding Harley Davidsons. And we are two strong, independent women that, you know, we're not happy with riding on the back of our significant others, Harley Davidsons. We had to drive our own. We started off as friends in, in Harley ridership that ended up blooming into a beautiful relationship with owning a business together. But one of the things that Judy kind of coined on our business is that we kind of, we run our business like we ride our motorcycles, which is there is no reverse. And that really <laughs> quite, quite well. <laughs> yes. And some there are some bumps along the way and you don't, you want to hang on tight so you don't go bumping off. And flying off into the great beyond. Right. Uh, you, you know, it's interesting that you owned a court reporter agency. Talk to listeners a little bit about the court reporter business. You know, I always thought that court reporters worked for the courthouse. You know, they just kind of tootle in, they follow the judge and the bailiff. Is that not how court, court reporters don't work for the court? Well, it's you're not alone in thinking that, and not everyone is tends to be familiar with the courthouse court reporter because that is what you see on TV. It's what we see, uh, you know, in in drama shows, right? That that's what we know. Judge Judy, I, yes. I see it. I see it. <laughs> Perfect example. Judge Judy is she has her own court reporter. And she's a real court reporter too. I should note that I actually know her in the field, um, not personally, but I know her through the connections that we have. She's a live certified court reporter. So oh, that's very cool. That yeah, so not, that's not reenactment for just for TV purposes. She is a live certified court reporter. Cool. Yeah. So, but there's a whole another world of court reporting business that happens. Uh, for freelance court reporters that cover depositions and hearings, arbitrations that are held outside of the courthouse. And that's the part of the business that not many know of unless, and unfortunately, if they've been involved in a lawsuit. So I'll give you an example. If you were in a car accident and there were five witnesses to your car accident, long before that, uh, and then a lawsuit ensues, like who's at fault? Who's at fault for this car accident? Long before that car accident lawsuit gets to the courthouse, you have to, or your attorney has to find out who knows what, what your injuries are, what, you know, what the lawsuit, what kind of dollar amount were the injuries, what damage to the car, damage to you. And those, in order to find that information out, it's sworn testimony by those people that saw witnessed or were involved in the car accident. So each one of those people, your law, your lawyer will call for a deposition. And in that deposition is usually the opposing counsel. In other words, the other person that's being sued or that's involved in lawsuit yourself, or perhaps your attorney, I should say your attorney, the other attorney, and then whoever is being deposed. And the only other person that's in the room is a certified court reporter. And what the key is, is that certified court reporter has to be not hired by either attorney, in other words, employee of either attorney. They have to be a, a third party unbiased person so that they don't have any bias in the case and that they don't um, slant, let's say, the transcript to one side or the other. 
No spinning by court reporter. Correct. Yeah. And that's, that's where it's hard to find, you know, that we don't just advertise our business out there. And that's where the difficulty of locating those court reporters comes in. So it's a world of, unless you've been involved in a lawsuit that many aren't aware of. So that, do, the, do the two lawyers have to agree on the court reporter or just whoever called the they, deposition? Yeah, it, it, the, usually the person that calls the deposition hires a freelancer out in the market. Um, when I'll, This has only happened to me once that I can recall quickly. When we arrive at the um, proceeding, if by chance I know the person being deposed personally, uh-huh. I have that and I did that did happen to me once where I actually knew the person that was being deposed not personally but I knew the person's father uh, they actually had to disclose that to both attorneys and say hey just so you know I was unaware until I walked in the room that I do know this person's father and then the, the attorneys can either agree or disagree to let me carry on with the proceeding if they uh, agree in that case they did then I then I'm still the certified court reporter for that event. If I was too close to that person and they said, you know what, we don't feel comfortable that right. you're unbiased, then they'll bring somebody else in. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's interesting, um, all the behind the scenes stuff in a lawsuit. So for court reporters, how much of court reporters' work is the in courtroom stuff versus the the out of courtroom things that you mentioned? I would say it's probably 50-50, meaning, you know, for every court trial that you see, every just about every person, if not every person that goes on the witness stand has been deposed prior to getting to the trial. And the reason they are is because the attorney, the opposing attorney, let's say you bring a witness that saw your accident and they're going to go up on the stand and they're going to say some things. Well, the opposing attorney wants to know what they're going to say, as does your your attorney was going to want to know what they're going to say too. They don't want to be surprised at with something. So they already have been deposed. So however many people are witnesses at any given trial already have been deposed outside of the courthouse prior to, you know, a friend of mine who's a uh, longtime litigator said his rule of thumb is never, ever ask a question. You don't know, already (laughs) know the answer to. Exactly. Yeah, and that's a perfect, it's perfect information and in why there's the depositions beforehand. So those attorneys know what they're going to ask. It's also how they impeach a person and meaning they'll catch them in a lie. So, you know, they'll ask a question that they know the answer to. And then let's say that person says another answer. And then they'll refer back to the transcript in the deposition held, you know, six months ago and say, you know, back on such and such date when I asked you that question, yes. answer, you know, yeah, so not- Karen, may I draw your attention to this this document here from the court reporter from our deposition of such and such. Does it not or not say, does it or does it not say blah, blah, blah? (laughs) Isn't it true? They always get into those. Isn't it true? Yeah. So, yeah, that's where those all come from. Interesting. Well, so why is it so hard to find court reporters? It seems like it would be great work i mean um is it the training is it the pay i mean what why is it so hard to find good court reporters it's a very lucrative business it's a very lucrative profession it's a fascinating profession 
you learn something new every day or you are involved in something new every day. Everything from today might be a case about a murder and the witness to the murder and tomorrow might be two neighbors fighting about a fence in the backyard, you know, so every day is different. Mm -hmm. The finances are phenomenal. The problem comes in is if we step back a little bit, colleges like numbers, right? Colleges like to see we have, you know, um, a 98% graduation rate and we placed 97% in, you know, their profession. The problem with court reporting is it's not an easy, uh, it's just not easy to get to the certification process. So there's a lot of about, there's a lot of, you know, not making it through the college courses. And unfortunately what's happened is there's a lot of college courts or a lot of colleges that have taken the curriculum out of their, uh, you know, their list because it makes it look bad on the college when we have, you know, we only graduate 70% out of this course. And so the course gets looked down upon. So unfortunately, a lot of colleges have closed over the years. Um, good news is since, and partly this has to do with COVID, remote colleges have popped up to fill the void of where, uh, again, a great profession is. Um, so it's really, it's it's not an easy course to finish. Once you get that course finished, oh my gosh, it's a phenomenal profession. But really it's it's it comes down to the numbers. And then it also comes down to the fact that court reporters, like I said, they don't advertise themselves per se. Mm. It's not like with billboards saying, hey, here's a court reporter, come and find my services. No, That's I don't not- believe I've ever seen a billboard like that, no. nor an ad on TV. Um, um, yeah. you know, uh, your friendly bankruptcy specialized yeah. court reporter, I, I don't see that. Well, yeah. uh, let's go back to e-court reporters. So you were running, you, you had an agency where you helped place a number of these independent court reporters, but then you decided to start e-court reporters. What was, what was the idea behind that? And what prompted you to, to pivot? So I, I actually have to give credit to my older brother, which I always hate doing, you know, (laughs) I hear you. I know that. Yeah. You know, so my brother was uh, traveling to California to, to see his children and he's old school at the time he had a flip phone and he was just transitioning over to a smartphone. And this is not that many years ago. This is just how, you know, old school he was. He hung out of the phone forever. But he got Don't fix what's not broken. Right? So he had a smartphone and he came home or came back from California and I picked him up from the airport and had lunch with him. And during lunch, he was showing me how he had ordered an Uber out in California. And he was like, oh man, you know, I just went to my smartphone and I just click, click, click. And, you know, look at, you can watch the car come and you can pick whatever car you want. And he was just acting all smug about the fact that he was able to order an Uber and I had really light bulb moments sitting there thinking, I, I believe I voiced it. I said, boy, I wish I could find certified court reporters that easy. Uber a court reporter, right? Right. right? And I, I went home that night. I, that was lunchtime. I went home that night and I couldn't sleep. I literally could not sleep. And the next morning I said, you know, 
I just have to do something for this. Why can't we find court reporters that easy? Why can't I go, you know, I as a court reporting firm had trouble finding overflow jobs or filling overflow jobs. I had my own court reporters that would fill and then they would get, you know, can only have so many bodies to fill so many positions. And then I'd have all these other jobs that I'd be scrambling and calling and emailing and texting. And it was just a nightmare. And then I thought, why can't we, why can't I find a court reporter that easy? So it literally was the beginning of e-court reporters. And I will tell you that our first rendition uh, I went right to work. I mean, I literally couldn't sleep that night. The next morning, I just started, you know, looking for ways to build a website, which I knew nothing about, <laughs> really nothing about. And I can tell you the biggest bump in the road is my first rendition of a, of a website was over promise and under delivered, partly because I didn't know what I was looking for, partly because I didn't know what I what to ask for. And very quickly that what was being developed was not going to work for the type of, of platform that we needed. I mean, we're dealing with confidentiality. We're dealing with some sensitive information and um, a year later. So that was in 2017, a year later, 2018, I went back to the drawing board and created a custom site, which has now become eCourt Reporters, which is an amazing site, secure, uh, exactly what we needed. It was custom built for our needs. So that's a little bit of the history of how we got to where we are. And I will tell you, summarize that up with, if you'd asked me as little as five years ago, if I'd be the owner of a technology company, the answer would be absolutely not. And yet here I am. So, you know, it's interesting you say that um, because there are a lot of people who say Uber is really not a rideshare company is a technology company because the platform that they have built is so, so slick and so much thought and work went into it and probably money to develop it and refine it. It's essentially a technology company. And I think what you're saying is that to be the Uber of court reporters requires a significant investment in technology I suspect you are far from alone in terms of, <clears throat> in fact, I just chatted with another entrepreneur uh, just a couple days ago, and he had the same, he had the same <laughs> issue. He had an idea. He wasn't quite sure what he wanted it to do. And it was so clear very quickly that the, te- that the underpinning, the technology, the, the behind the scenes of his website he outgrew it very quickly to the point where, just like you, almost the investment he made, he had to very quickly just say, it's not going to cut it. It's not what my customers want. It's not what we want. Got to start over again. So just a word to entrepreneurs out there. There are so many business models that really are going to depend on great technology. And you may be able to find something off the shelf. You may be a great programmer. You may be lucky and have a buddy or a good friend or a family member who is whiz-bang at designing this kind of stuff. But boy, oh boy, (laughs) you may want to think long and hard about what you really want and the money you might need to have to be able to develop and refine it, right? Exactly. I, I, it, it still, it still hurts to this day. I mean, that was a couple of years ago and it still hurts at just how difficult and it partly was my own fault, right? Because I came up with this idea 
based on why can't I find court reporters that easy to realizing that, you know, it, it requires technology that I knew nothing about. So I didn't know how to go about asking for what I needed. I knew what I wanted it to be when it was done. I had no idea how to get there. And what was not going to work for us was a plug and play type thing. In other words, take all these different things and just kind of plug them in and, and make it work. It was, that was not going to work at all for us. I, and, I think a lot of people yeah. just really underestimate yeah. how challenging it is and how, how often you need to update it and patch it, you know, mm -hmm. oftentimes with things that go on. So, um, you know, find a, find a really good developer. You know, it's interesting. You're, you're talking about your model, the Uber of court reporting. So how do you get people to sign up to your site? How do you get court reporters to sign up and how do you make sure that they're, that, that they're good? Because you're standing really behind them. Your, your name and reputation is on the line. Great question. Yeah. So we do, we do a lot of social media. We are heavily into the social media world, which I've also learned to be good at after a while, which I didn't do a lot of before. But we we do a lot of social media. We do uh, weekly emails. We do blogs. But to answer your question on um, you know standing behind people, that's that's a great point because everybody on our site, and it, this goes through on the other side, which is the attorneys searching for court reporters too is that we, we vet everybody before they're gain, they, have, they can gain access. In other words, if you're a court reporter, you know, we cover all 50 states and I can- Wow, have that's that. amazing. And we have representation in all 50 states. We had a lone holdout in North Dakota for a while and we, we actually have all 50 states now. So um, that's impressive for us. It that is. Yeah, it was a big milestone for us. But we vet everybody that, applies to be a it's a free application they, we charge them nothing to list their profiles but they must be a certified court reporter on the service provider end and they must be an actual law firm on the other end in other words uh, an example we had not too long ago of an old boyfriend was looking for a court reporter and he wanted to look through our database and find that court reporter i was like no that's not databases for. Uh, so we actually vet the law firms just like we do the court reporters. And how that works is most court, most almost every uh, state has a, an association, a court reporting association attached to their state because each state has different rules and regulations. And then there's also national agency or national associations that have uh, go through the process of certifying court reporters. So we utilize those associations. Um, and on the court or the law firm side, then we also go into, um, you know, each lawyer has uh, usually a law firm or a lawyer number that are they're assigned when they're in good standing with their state. Um, you can also, we also utilize social media. You know, I mean, if somebody says, well, I'm an attorney, the first thing we do is, well, are they attorney on LinkedIn? And what's their law firm? And, uh -huh. and state association and, and uh, you know, what's their, you know, bar association that they're associated with. So there's a number of, some people can be vetted very quickly and then other ones may take us a little longer, but each person goes through that process before they are, uh, you know, given authority to go in and use the uh, emails and passwords and the sign-in processes that they get uh, credentials to go into the, to utilize the system.
Well, that's interesting. So it's free for court reporters to sign up. And um, I'm guessing as you become more well-known, you're getting more and more court reporters to sign up. How How is it monetized if it's free for them? I mean, it's good that it's free because obviously yeah. they're more likely to sign up. But yeah. how, how, how do you monetize the model? Yeah. So what we do is we actually, we're actually free for law firms too. They're our ultimate customers. So we actually do not charge the law firms to register and go in and search our database. And how we make money is our model is after the job is complete, we retain a percentage of the job assignment. So what that does is nobody has to worry about anything coming out of your pay. You don't pay monthly, nothing until you're actually given a job. And Uh Job is what we've there's there's many um, agencies that work as a third party booking agency now that can take up to 50 percent of the court reporters pay that's how many people are booked today or have been booked in the past wow yeah by going direct by it is it is by going direct by attorney to court reporters through our system what we've done is eliminate that third party booking agency and now the court reporter can make up to 95% of their pay or their value so the the difference is phenomenal and then because it doesn't cost you anything to list your services you know if you never got a job at the very least you got free advertising of your yeah. are and your certifications so we don't take anything out of anybody's pocket until a job is until we've come through and, and, and made a connection and you've actually gotten work. Well, so is it, is there a system kind of like, um, I'm familiar with Upwork, you know, where you can do freelance, find freelance graphic designers or somebody to update your logo or something. And, you know, the, it tracks it. It'll say, yeah, Doris Nagel has completed 37 projects and her average rating is 3.9 stars. You know, is, is there a system kind of like that too, where you. There is, there is great question. So what we do is after the job is complete and, and everything, everybody's, you know, the, the law firm has their transcript and the court reporter has done the job, then there's a rating. So the law firm gets an instant notification that, hey, your court reporter did everything that you, well, we hope she did everything that she or he did everything that you or she or he was asked to do. Uh, please rate your your service. So they get rated from, oh. did they arrive on time? Did they uh, do the transcript nicely? Did you have good communication? You know, I mean, they can rate from anything, a five-star rating. And that shows up on the profiles then of the court reporter for the next time they get booked or the next law firm that's searching for somebody that, um, you know, they need service and need, and they can choose the law firm can choose. Maybe they choose by five stars. Maybe they choose by price. Maybe they choose by certifications and yeah. Or, or I'm guessing even expertise. Um, yeah. Yep. You're, I, you're, think, you're I, in. You know, I think, um, the, the 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 technology, some of the terms that are used in some of these lawsuits. Um, I mean, you read about them, and you can barely even understand what they're talking about. There's so much jargon. Well, that's an interesting point too, because our court reporters can actually put in their profile what they what their preference is, meaning 
if they are, let's say they're really good or really just really enjoy or have some history in medical, medical profession, maybe they just really like medical malpractice, Mm -hmm. signify that on their profile. And let's say somebody else who hates medical terminology, because there's a lot of terminology in medical, they would not put that on their profile. Now, when an attorney goes in and searches and says, you know, hey, I'm going to be deposing a doctor, they're going to look to those medical, they're going to be there, we're going to sync them up to the court reporters that do the medical and that are efficient and our five-star ratings in the medical versus those that just say, you know what, I have no interest at all in doing medical, so I'm not even putting that on my profile. So it eliminates the back and forth of, you know, I need a court reporter next Tuesday at three o'clock and the court reporter says, oh yeah, I'm available, I can cover. And then just, well, this is a doctor. Oh no, I ain't doing that. You know, Oops, never mind. <laughs> right. You've taken away all that. And you can also then the, the law firm can select the best suited court reporter for the proceeding at hand. So that's that's eliminated a lot of a lot of back and forth and a lot of frustration on both ends. It doesn't waste anybody's time. You get exactly the court reporter that you need for the for the proceeding. Well, that's very cool. How has the business grown since you started it? Are there more and more court reporters that have joined, more law firms that use it. Talk about that. Yeah, we've grown tremendously. You know, I I did state that we are in all 50 states now, so that was a big milestone. I will say that we don't have a big presence in North Dakota, and the reason being it's population equals litigation. So our biggest presence is actually in places like California, Florida, um, um, New York, we do we do very well here in the Midwest because we started here, um, but it, Texas is another big one. So those states, just based on population, because you know you're going to have more car accidents where there's more people and less car accidents where there's less people. So yeah. we do really well in the heavy populated states. Um, we are on both sides. I can tell you that court reporters more and more come to us and. You know, we offer a lot of different variables for the court reporter. So I just talked to a gal today that is retiring from working in the courthouse, but she doesn't want to quit working court reporting altogether. And uh-huh. so what this allows her to do is to make herself available when she does want to work. So our system is based on a live calendar availability. So in her case, we had a nice conversation today about she says, well, I don't want to work every day. But I don't, you know, maybe this week I want to work two days and maybe next week I don't want to work at all. Well, what she can e-court reporters is make herself available only on the days that she wants to work. So in that respect, those kind of things have really made our business explode. And another, give you another example of that same kind of feed is um, we have court reporters that travel and perhaps, you know, we have snowbirds, say in the Midwest that go to Florida for the the wintertime. And those court reporters can actually make themselves available in Florida, you know, that state providing their certified and in Wisconsin because they, you know, or Chicago or Illinois, wherever they're from, they can make themselves available in multiple states. And the reason is the remote world, and we're all familiar with the remote world these days and video conferencing, that has opened up a whole new door for court reporters that didn't exist pre-COVID. So pre-COVID, we were primarily in person for um, for any type of deposition hearing. Oh, um, right. Yeah. So a lot of that was in person, but then the emergency orders went into place in most states, if not all, during COVID. And what that did is opened up 
the ability for these remote conferences, remote video conferences that turned out to be just a dynamic change, a real game changer in the legal industry, not just for the court reporters, but also for the attorneys. So if you can imagine, you know, pre-COVID, if we had a, a case here, uh, let's say the witness was in Wisconsin, but the accident happened in California and the attorney from California needs to, you know, come to Wisconsin to depose somebody. So they're going to fly in and they're going to spend two or three nights in a hotel and they're going to, you know, for a four hour deposition and spend all this money. Today, that attorney stays in California. The witness is here in Wisconsin. The court reporter is remote and everybody's saving all that time of, you know, being on the road and, and, and costs in overnight stays. Well, that's kind of interesting, though, if they're licensed by state. I mean, it so is. does the court reporter have to be a Wisconsin so the court license reporter, or California? Or now it starts to not matter so much. Great question. But so the court reporter has to be with the state that the deponent is in. So oh. Wisconsin, and the reason being, like, I'll use myself as an example, I have to be able to swear in the witness per the notary rules of Wisconsin, because that's what I'm licensed for. I am not licensed in the state of California. So if that same scenario played out, and the witness was in California, I in Wisconsin cannot take that case as a as a court reporter. But what's helped us or what's grown our business is the fact that court reporters on e-court reporters can actually make themselves available in multiple states, right? So if I went and got my California license, I could cover California's jobs as well. And more and more court reporters are finding that, you know, with an extra test, with an extra certification in another state, you've opened yourself up for a whole bunch more jobs. Yeah. Especially with with things being virtual. You know, it's interesting you alluded to that. And um, I actually um, had as a guest uh, a lawyer who's, who's running for judge in Cook County. And she was talking about how uh, COVID has changed the court proceedings. And it was her thought that probably going forward, there will be a lot of virtual hearings. Do you know that yeah. your sense as well? Yeah. Every indication is the attorney's are more productive. The court reporters are more productive. I mean, you've opened up so much more time. And honestly, the deponents, it makes their lives easier too. If you, you know, if you had to be deposed for an hour or two hours out of your day and and four or five hours of travel time to get to the lawyer's office for that, now you don't have to do that. You've opened up four hours of five hours of your day that you don't have to travel to the attorney's office for that deposition. You can stay home and do it right from your home computer. You actually end up with more um, engagement from the deponents, more engagement from the people involved in lawsuits, because otherwise it's going to be an inconvenience, right? Yeah. It can hard to schedule. People have jobs, they're working, they can't go and you know stop everything for a deposition. We did one not too long ago where the, literally the deposition was held during lunch hour. I mean, they knew the deposition was going to short, be short. They only had a few questions. So you can literally take your lunch hour. You don't take any other time off work. The guy was sitting in his car on his phone. <laughs> I mean, that okay, would be- that's not judge duty. That's <laughs> not my picture. <laughs> right? But, but you was, know, it's-, it's it's good that the court systems and and the practice of law is is flexible enough to to evolve. So um, and that that sounds like that's going to be a good thing for your business going forward. It probably already has. Right. 
Yeah, it's great for our business. It's been a real game changer, like I said. And and for growth of our business, that remote aspect, we actually didn't even have that piece within our um, original design of eCorporators. The remote option wasn't there because it wasn't as big of, it wasn't prevalent. And it, right. when, when COVID hit, we had to pivot or we did pivot and added that service in. And it just, it was just, it was, it changed everything. And it, and it has continued to change everything for eco reporters for that very reason. That's great. I'm sure though, it hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns as you've built your business. Talk about some of the challenges, maybe especially early on. You touched on the technology, but I bet that wasn't the only bump in the road. Well, the technology was the big one, but yes, you're right. That was not the only one. Um, And it's still, even to this day, I mean, there's certainly nothing runs smoothly, right? Technology is beautiful when it works. It's not always what it doesn't. And I think our biggest pain point today is just the access to law firms, right? Law firms are kind of, um, they don't want to be bothered with emails. They don't want to be bothered with phone calls. You, You can get the the secretary or the, uh, you know, you have to get past the gatekeeper to talk to the attorney that's going to use our system. So that's one of the pain points that we feel today even is getting through to the attorney themselves. Um, That's interesting because when they need a court reporter, they need one. So, yeah, uh, when they need a court reporter, they do. We need to let them know there's another, there's a better way. That's, and that's the key. So right now, they can find a court reporter by going through those agencies that will take up to 50% of the court reporter's pay. And not only do they take 50% of the court reporter's pay or up to, but they can also upcharge the law firm. And some lawyers don't even know that, number one. And some lawyers, you know, when you get into big law firms, the lawyer may never see the bill. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. The, the, or they just pass it on to the client and they don't care. So exactly. That's and not well, good either. No, it's not. And that's what we like to let them, you know, that's what we try to get past or let them know about our system is that you can compare whether it's you're paying the bill or whether it's, you know, somebody else writing the check at the end of the day, it's your client. We focus heavily on client centered law firms for that reason. So when your client says, how much is that going to cost? You can actually look at e-court reporters and know exactly what what it's going to cost you, you know, which court reporter is going to be the best for your services, for your your case, whatever. Um, You don't get that service when you're hiring through a third party. You're going to get somebody and you're going to get charged. And the difference is you can actually, the client-centered law firms will pay attention and say, well, I want, you know, a good price. I want the best of the best. I want the ones that you know, whatever the case may be, I want that medical proficiency, whatever it is, they can select. And, but we have to get to the law firms to let them know that, that there's a better way out there. And that going back to the example I gave earlier about law firms wasting time, paralegals are really the hard work behind the, the law firms. Their frustrations is the example I gave earlier, you know, I need a court reporter. Okay. We have a court reporter for you. And then, well, it's going to be a doctor. Well, no, we don't have a court reporter for you on to the next. And so again, emails, phone calls, you know, text messages, you know, I've seen social media blast looking for court reporter services. And what we've done is created a way for law firms to quickly and easily search a free database of vetted certified court reporters throughout the United States. And it's, you know, it's literally in a matter of five minutes, they can book the best of the best for their needs. And that's the message we have to get out. And we don't always 
have that open door to get that message through because they're just kind of like, well, I'm not paying the bill and I need a court reporter and, you know, whoever it is, it is. And we need, need to get our message out that there's a better way. That's interesting. It's funny you mentioned client-centric law firms. Do you find that big law firms are more likely to use your service or is it smaller law firms? The smaller solo firms definitely see big value in what we do. And then, you know, it really depends on the lawyer because some lawyers are more uh, attuned to their clients and some just aren't. Uh, we like to focus on the client centered because at the end of the day, you know, lawsuits change people's lives and you don't want to be the lawyer. I wouldn't want the lawyer that just decides that, well, hey, this is a cash cow case and I'm going to make lots of money because I'm going to depose lots of people and it's going to cost all this money. I want the lawyer that's going to say, all right, we're going to get you, you know, this is going to change your life forever, whatever the results of this lawsuit are, and we're going to get you the best value leading up to the lawsuit. So I think as, you know, technology and the internet has allowed clients the same information that they didn't have before either, that they wouldn't know the difference, myself included, you know, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have known the difference of, a, of an attorney that was client centric versus an attorney that was big law that didn't care about just, you know, billable hours. Right. So now it's more and more out there and clients can be a little more choosy. So just as selective as the client is in selecting the perfect attorney for their case, we created a way for law firms to be just as, you know, be just as, as interested and aware of the court reporter and the service that you're getting for your client, just like your client selected you, you need to select that court reporter the same way and have the same interest in mind at heart. You know, it's, I'm thinking about um, the, how you found funding for the business because you had to make a fairly substantial technology investment in order to start getting a lot of the revenue to to be generated. So how, how did you find funding for this business? Well, you're going back to that hurtful party. Again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've, I've, you know, <laughs> I think people relate to the pain points because there's plenty of pain for most of us. Yeah. When I had that light bulb moment sitting across from the dinner table of my brother, I had no idea how much technology would cost. And um, we are bootstrapped. So my co-founder and I, Judy Gerlot, and myself have primarily bootstrapped our business. Um, we do have one investor and I will tell you, hopefully Eric's not listening to this, but I will tell you, <laughs> we did a lot of pitching. Uh, we were involved in G-Beta, generator, great, great uh, startup in, uh, companies for people that are looking to start a business. I encourage anybody to look at great, great organization based really out of Madison, but expanding to a city near yeah. you. Check them out if you're interested in, in a wonderful incubator system. We learned a lot from them. We were in there, the spring cohort in 2019, learned a bunch. And I can tell you that that's when we started pitching. Up until then, we went primarily still are bootstrapped. Um, but at that point, we started pitching to investors. And, you know, we had a lot of no's, many, many no's. And it got, kind of got to be um, almost routine. It's like, oh, we're going to pitch again. Eh, we're going to pitch again. Yeah. We'll <laughs> You know, and then I had like, like Groundhog Day, right? Yeah, I just Boop got, you know, this is what we're going to do. Too. We're going to do another one. And then uh, it was strange because I had, uh, I'm a, I'm a big Packers fan and I had a, 
interested investor out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa that wanted to meet with me. And it was a Thursday night and I said, sure, I'll, you know, jump on a call with them. And it was also a Packer Thursday night game. And I remember distinctly, and I actually had apologized to him and Eric, forgive me. I know he's heard the story and I feel bad when I have to say it, but I just confess that I spent a lot of talking to him and pitching my business and looking over the top of the, my computer at the Packer game. And I apologized to him. I actually said to him, you know, I apologize, but I said, the Packers are playing and, you know, I felt really bad, but at the same time, really swore I watched the Packer game. And strangely, it was the easiest money that we got to invest in our company. And I, I, I tell that story only because I think when it came to pitching for the longest time, it was nerve wracking. It was, it was frustrating. It was, you know, it was all the things that, that you feel like I've got this great business, but I can't seem to get anybody interested. But I think what I was missing when I was pitching before that evening pitch to the, the person that actually ended up investing in us was that I was never really myself. I just always, oh. this, is, this is what you gotta have. This is, this is why, and this, 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 and then I'm starting to watch the Packer game and I'm just talking about my business. And I think Eric saw not just a great business, but he also saw the personality behind the business and real that's, person. Yeah. 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 I'm certainly glad you you took that away as the moral of the story and not um, the advice that people need to become Packers fans in order yeah. to get the funding. <laughs> yeah, it helped. It, I'm telling you, it helped. No, but it, it I think, you know, the pitching world, um, the investment world or funding is very difficult for founders. And we certainly learned that uh, it's still we still pitch. It's still difficult. You know, it doesn't come easy and rightfully so, you know, investors are very, you know, savvy of their money as they should be. And so. Well, and unfortunately, it's tough for women owned businesses. You know, I saw a statistic that less than 3% of venture capital money goes to women owned businesses. And that number actually has been declining, which is really sad. That was venture capital money. You know, I don't know what the numbers are right for angel funding or family offices or things like that, but my guess is it's, it's quite low. Have you seen obstacles in particular for women-owned businesses? Is it the way we present? Is it the fact that we just don't come up with the same kind of business models? What do you attribute that to? If I were to summarize it, I would say that it's the for me, it's the it's the fact that I am not strong in saying my value. So, you know, I just think it comes easier for men to say, hey, I have this company and it's worth $2 million. And then I come along and I say, I have this company and I, and I think it's worth about, you know, maybe 200. <laughs> you know, the, the, the presentation is a lot different. And I think we as women right. tend to value ourselves that's what I would summarize it with. I would blame myself in that I don't always come off as strong and confident as, as a man and millions of dollars, you know, tens of twenties, millions of dollars where men have no problem asking for. And women, I think have struggled more in asking for it. So that's on a quick, you know, thought process. I believe that's one problem. There's probably many more. That's one. I think I find myself locked into that I, I always devalue our business, not necessarily because I don't think it's a great business because I know it is and I know it has value and I know it can go 
you know, I've seen the numbers, I know what it can do and I know where it, it's going and, and all those things, but I have a hard time asking somebody else to understand and see that same value that I see with that same strength where I think men in general have absolutely no problem, not only asking, but asking for more, much more than, than maybe what the bill, the business is worth and getting it, you know? They, yeah. yeah. There's certainly, I was reading a study not too long ago that said unqualified men are like three or four times more likely to apply for a job they're not clearly not qualified for than a woman would be. Yeah. I, I find that fascinating. It's just a, yeah. it's a very interesting dynamic. Well, looking back on your journey, what advice would you give your younger self or what might you have done differently? Oh gosh, what might I have done differently? I would have brought in a partner way sooner. I brought my partner in. Judy came in with me as a partner about a year and a half after I made the terrible mistake of, of the overpromise underdeveloped website. I would have slowed down and I would have looked at the development of what I would have asked better questions at the beginning. I think that, you know, it's always hindsight is always easy, right? But I know looking back at it today, I would have done more due diligence on the company I was hiring to build our website. I just didn't know. And I think I would have liked to have spent more time learning a little bit more behind the scenes. I jumped in with both feet ready to go. And because I knew what I needed, I knew what it had to be. And I knew it was a great opportunity and it was, you know, it was, it was time and it, everything was falling into place. But I think I have, if I could do it again, I would have done more due diligence at the beginning stages. Um, I don't know. I, I you know, and, and I say that and looking back, if I was aware of all that I know now, I may not have done it. I may not have done it had I known it was going to cause as much, had I known the headache, you know, of how many times the technology fails, of how many time, you know, how many times we had to fix things. And I mean, every day we, we it's not we're fixing things or we're tweaking, you know, for forever. Well, let's do this. Let's do it this way. And it, it's just a constant many times is not running 100% the way we'd like it. We always want to tweak things. We always want to move things. And then, then every time we move something, then we have to move something else. And it's a constant thing. So if I'd have known that maybe, you know, when I first started, maybe I wouldn't have, maybe I would have scared me off. So uh, when I tell my younger self, you know, what would you do different? If I had that opportunity to be aware of what I was in for, I've gone forward. So looking back at it now, I'm glad and I'm extremely pleased I did what I did. But it certainly didn't come easy and it didn't go, you know, smoothly without bumps along the way. But I, you know, if I had, to, I don't think I would change it other than just knowing a little bit more about technology. I, I'll tell you from personal experience, you know, I'm a, a SCORE or have been a SCORE mentor. SCORE being the volunteer arm of the Small Business Association that provides free counseling to startup people. And I can't tell you the number of people I chatted with who said they wanted to start a business, but spent so much time noodling and thinking that they, they never did anything. They were the most frustrating clients. So, you know, may, maybe the lesson, you can't overthink things if you're sure you've really got a great idea, but, you know, expect that it may not be the smoothest of rides and you'll just figure it out as you go. There's definitely something to be said for tenacity. I mean, you have to stick with it for as much as frustration sets in, the wins are so much more rewarding and so much more. Sometimes I think, you know, gosh, you know, 
we should be farther along. We should be doing this. We should be doing that. But then when I look back, you know, a year ago, two years ago, I'm like, wow, look at how far we've come. You know, so exactly. The glass is half full, not half empty. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, you know, speaking of that, I, I, where do you see e-court reporters headed? I mean, where's it going to be maybe in three years if you fulfill your vision for the company? Sure. Sure. So we have right now we started with e with court reporters and legal videographers, which we didn't even get a chance to touch on, but they are part of the deposition process, too, at times. So those two are our primary service providers today. But we have expansion plans of process servers, of interpreters. I mean, there's much more that goes into a deposition than the court reporter when you have uh, somebody that doesn't speak English or somebody that, you know, needs an interpreter or needs a, the videographer comes in when, when you have testimony in print and black and white, it doesn't show the mannerisms in a videographer. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. I've actually read a, uh, a transcript at some point okay. or something and, you know, it's it's kind of hard to figure out what's going on because yeah. you, you lack all the context. Exactly. Now, if you put a videographer, a certified, and they have to be certified too, a certified legal videographer in that same room with the court reporter, now what you can do or what your attorney can do is put that black and white print up against a visual of that person saying those exact words. And you can see, you know, shoulders, shrugs, eye rolls, you know, whatever. Wow mannerism is ums and ahs and stutters that get caught with the the transcript and sarcasm you know sarcasm doesn't come out in print but it certainly comes out when you see somebody saying something and those kind of things are mean a lot in in testimony when you need to use that witness for whether it's for your side or against your side you yeah yeah and then, you know, so future, we have expansion plans of bringing on process servers. That's the people that are going to come to your door and say, hey, you've been subpoenaed for this deposition next Tuesday at three o'clock. They're going to knock on your door and you've been served, as you may see on TV. So those are another process that goes in place of, you know, preparing for trial and depositions. Um, and then again, interpreters for uh, if you have somebody that doesn't speak the language and not just, you know, there's a lot of languages as we're a very diverse country. We have many languages and, and different times need interpreters to, to depose people. So those those services will also be in e-court reporters, um, hopefully sooner versus later. That's part of our goals. Fantastic. How should people reach you if they're interested in e-court reporter services? Maybe they're a court reporter. Maybe they have a friend who is. Maybe they're a law firm. Or maybe they're just interested in chatting with you about things entrepreneurial like pitching or generator or just shooting the breeze. I love to help entrepreneurs at any time. I'm actually a, a coach for uh, Doyen, which is a women's entrepreneurship out oh, of Mass. You are. Yeah, I love helping businesses grow. So yes, definitely reach out to me if you're an entrepreneur. Definitely reach out to me if you're a court reporter. And definitely reach out to me if you're an attorney. Um, my email, my direct email is K letter K Renee. So it's letter K with last name Renee, R-E-N-E-E at ecourtreporters.com. And I am primarily the court reporter perspective of the business. Uh, my co-founder, Judy Gerlot, which is J-G-E-R, 
U-L-A-T at ecourtreporters.com. She is more the business brains of the company. She's she's all things business, uh, way smarter than me. I bring in the court reporter's perspective and can answer all questions from the court reporters and service providers and, and even the attorneys because I actually work in that world. Judy brings more of a business background to the company. Uh, we make a great partnership for that very reason. But you can reach either one of us at any time. Our phone number is 262 262- 2103915 again 2622103915 and you can always reach out to us at office at eco reporters um, that gets also will eventually get to us if it's any question that we need to answer directly that's office at ecoreporters.com. Um, yeah, and go to our website, ecoreporters.com. Check it out. Even if you're not in the legal industry, and you just want to see a really cool website, go check it out. It's it's dynamic. Uh, we have an app within the website that does all the, the scheduling. Um, we've had some great videos put on there, some fun stuff. So anybody and everybody, I'd love to talk to anybody we can. Karen, thank you so much for being with me today. It's really been a delight having you. Thank you, Doris. And thanks to all my listeners. You're the reason I do this. You can find more helpful information and resources on my consulting website, globalocityservices.com, as well as my new radio show website, thesavvyentrepreneur.org. You'll find lots of tools, podcasts, and other resources that are free for entrepreneurs and small business people. My door is always open for comments, questions, or suggestions. Email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at thesavvyentrepreneur.org. Now, be sure to join me again next Saturday, 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring. <laughs>